Welcome to the Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim. My name is Matt, and joining me in the co-pilot seat, at least for as long as that seat lasts, is Pete. Hello, the Pete. What up, all my Mandos and Mandats? The Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmets for Chapter 14, The Tragedy? Oh, so many tragedies. Pete, looking ahead, though, to the future, Disney Investor Day is December 10th. Uh, and while we aren't normally into all the uh, the business news and whatnot, amidst financial mumbo-jumbo, there may be a lot of content news, not just for the Star Wars Disney Plus pipeline, but potentially information about a lot of what we podcast, Marvel movies and TV shows, additional Star Wars content and timelines, and more. And considering Warner Brothers' big news uh, this Thursday past, that all of its releases for uh, next calendar year, 2021, will day and date for 31 days uh, hit its streamer, HBO Max. So if you're uh, willing to go to a, a theater or if you want to watch it at home, you're going to get the same opportunity and something that clearly is going to drive business towards HBO Max I already have it, Matt. I believe you already have it, right? <laughs> yup, and guess what? We're not getting rid of it anytime soon <laughs> because most of these months for I mean because the the discussion was look, when we can get rid of this $15 a month when we're not using it, let's get rid of it. But Pete, I can tell you, I can tell our listeners that for sure in 2021, uh, we will be podcasting The Suicide Squad the weekend it comes out, Matrix 4, Dune, um uh, in the Heights and others like th this is a huge the game Sopranos changer. prequel like th this is a big deal and as I've discussed with some of our listeners in particular uh, Marvel and uh, Mandalorian uh, listener emeritus uh, Mary Kirk in Minnesota um, I fully expect Disney to answer with some variation of its own Matt, as we get closer to uh, vaccinations being injected into uh, first responders and now the discussion that there will not be enough of that initial batch for all first responders, I think it's going to back up our vaccinations a little bit. There is no way that everybody who wants a shot gets a shot by the time Black Widow is in theaters in early May. I would agree. I would suspect at this early stage that because Disney in particular year after year makes so much money at the movies and because that really is the most efficient way to make billions of dollars very, very quickly uh, after spending hundreds of million dollars for multiple years to make the movie, or, you know, $300 million over the course of three years to make an Avengers, you make a billion dollars in, you know, a weekend, you make $2 billion in a month, that sort of thing. Um, I think Disney's going to stick with theatrical overall. I would agree that Black Widow as officially, at least when it was redated for 2021, officially the movie to save the movies or the first one back, it now is at a pinch point. But what Warner Brothers did in 
prioritizing subscriptions for its new, you know, still fairly new service and pricey service, um, prioritizing that over the theatrical question marks for 2021, that's going to drive sub- drive subscriptions insofar as HBO Max is also a competitor to Disney Plus and Disney Plus has been around for a year and has already established many subscriptions. The business volley is interesting because how many more subscriptions will be added for a Black Widow that aren't already there in 80 million subscribers? So it's it's simultaneously apples and apples and apples and oranges. Um, I personally would suspect we see Black Widow get a theatrical release and then maybe two weeks later, three weeks later, depending on the box office situation, it quickly comes to Disney Plus for free. The premium experiment for Mulan clearly did not work. Uh, look to the release of Soul on Christmas Day as proof that they're abandoning that as a as a model. So, I mean, look, if, you, if you're a big-time... Um, AT&T, I think, is now the owner of Warner Brothers. Uh, AT&T stockholder, if you're a big-time Disney stockholder, these are troubling and curious questions. For us sitting on the ground looking for some great content, these are good problems to have. Yeah, and uh, I would tend to lead towards your solution. Um, Here's the interesting problem it puts us in, and obviously closer to that, we may know. I doubt they'd release it and then do the release black widow theatrically and then do the haha two weeks later here it is streaming for free i think they'd put that out there it's not in the public health's interest i mean that is something that people might determine i'm going to potentially go and do something unsafe and i'm not saying that theater going is unsafe i'm saying that the confluence of public places, uh, mask wearing, not mask wearing, uh, removing masks to eat in indoor locations, all of which have revealed to been at much higher risk. I think Disney's got to be smart about how they do that. Uh, piggybacking off of uh, Black Widow to some some more recent news squarely in Things We Podcast. Pete, I'm not going to give all the details because I remain hashtag spoiler free, but which Black Widow character and performer uh, is going to be in the Hawkeye series? Um, well, one of them is, so spoiler alert, uh, one of them definitely isn't going to die by the end of the movie. Um, but <laughs> Further advancement uh, on that front. Indeed, in the last week, Pete, um, we there was footage of the closed-off filming uh, subway filming location for Hawkeye, uh, revealing um, two stars, one of which has been confirmed, one of which, curiously, still has not been officially confirmed. Yes. Well, the first person you're talking about is Florence Pugh. <laughs> uh, indeed, as the returning character. Uh, we also have... In the footage from this week, Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld, um, the latter of which has yet to be officially confirmed in a weird, weird thing. But Pete, hope that 2021 is going to bring a Black Widow movie. It's going to bring uh, perhaps the Hawkeye show. Maybe that still is a year plus away, but but a bright future ahead. Let's get to some Mando. Indeed, it's time for the hunt.
The razor crest heads toward Tython as Grogu plays with the shifter knob in his seat. Mando watches and calls him by name to get a kick out of him responding every time he says it. Uh, he asks Grogu for the knob back, and he's at first hesitant to give it up. But he hands it over to Mando, who tells him to take it with the Force. He closes his eyes and pulls it to him again. Dank Farrick! But Pete, that's not a negative Dank Farrick. Mando is happy, and uh, he notes that this is a special kid. Mando underlining his promise that he's going to find the place where Grogu can fit in. Maybe Mando is ignoring the fact that Grogu best fits in here. Um, but Grogu has to agree to go, understand? So lots of still kind of potential separating of the two, at least in the in the in the air here. We get the title card, The Tragedy, extra tragic notes there in the uh, in the music from Ludwig Gorenson. Uh, and then we have them arriving at Tython, where the Razor whoa, Crest. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You sure that's Tython and not the Rocky Hills of California? Uh, Pete, I have no doubt that they are filming in the Los Angeles County Park, uh, where Vasquez Rocks are located. Indeed, it might just be called Vasquez Rocks. Um, not far from that is the famous. Um, you know, the famous Kirk fights the Gorn um, thing. Indeed, Vasquez Rocks Natural Area Park uh, is a park in Los Angeles County, California. Pete is within the TMZ, the 10-mile zone, which means uh, if you are, if you work in Hollywood, they can tell you, show up at this spot. We don't need to pay for your transportation. Um, even though it's like a 45-minute drive from downtown Los Angeles, at the TMZ is this, you know, as the bird flies kind of circle. Um amazing place to be i should i should just mention if you find yourself in los angeles it's worth the drive um they're not at the iconic pointy rock uh but they are no question in that part of los angeles county um uh, the seeing stone perhaps a set or 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 built there i don't think that that's a natural feature uh though the kirk fights gorn rock certainly is the uh the hinge here the magic rock coming into view as they descend where uh, the nice lady told Mando to take Grogu. They bank left. Great, great effect here. Grogu can see through uh, a lower window this uh, magic rock seeing stone he's got to get to. But they can't land on top, Matt, because it's too small. Time to take the rest of the journey with the windows down to those six spires with the smaller rock in the center. Pete, it's things like that that our friend, our anonymous friend, the author, complains about so much. Why must the story place blocks in the way of our heroes? Why can't they just land at the top? Pete, this is the only story ever to create uh, challenges for a character when they want to do something, right? Why does John Favreau do this? <laughs> because he's at the top of his game. <laughs> but but it, it, it's so clear that what this show does is to set blocks in the way of characters who who, who want things. It's the only show to ever Con do it, you know. Conflict. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh wait, it's actually a a, a basic of of 
all storytelling in all cultures in the entire history of humanity. Uh, anyhow, does this look Jedi to you, Matt? Uh, the the stone the stone does kind of look a little Jedi. I mean, kind of in in the old fashion, if you will. It's got a round orb in the center. Grogu is put upon it, uh, but there's there's a pause. It's yes, it's the seeing stone, but who's seeing who? What's seeing what? Questions galore. Pete, a blue butterfly flutters by. Now here's what I need to ask you, Pete. I saw on the Twitter that that's like a Kylo Ren thing. Can you explain that to me? the uh butterflies a kylo ren thing that's that's what i saw that that blue butterflies somehow tie to kylo ren i'm looking it up now i guess it's not it's not a thing it's not a film thing um blue butterfly kylo ren i'm looking it up right now um apparently it's something that hints at ben solo's future um uh, Pete, we'll have to dig. We'll, we'll have to dig more for that in the theory segment. So, so take us take us back to the central narrative here. So the the butterflies flitting around here. One comes close to Grogu. He reaches for it. Mando is a little impatient here. Ahsoka told him he had to get him there, and then that Grogu would do the rest. It's just then, Matt, that a ship approaches and i'm told that because the subtitles uh say it (laughs) but it takes a second for the audience to know it is slave one that this is boba fett's formerly jango fett's uh iconic vessel there's a little bit of that western uh le motif from ludwig Gorenson here something teased out a little bit more uh by director robert rodriguez's uh involvement um side note matt robert rodriguez was apparently not the original director of this episode they brought him in off the bench and one to be able to get a seasoned and highly stylistic director at that off the bench two i don't know that this episode is the five run home run it is if not for robert rodriguez all right so i have a lot of questions here first of all let me dispense with the previous one um apparently there was on youtube a star wars kids Star Wars rollout cartoon in which young Ben Solo sees blue butterflies. So that's the source of that. We can kind of put that away. I'm not saying, I don't know where that is on the Star Wars canon thing, but that's the source of that. Um, however, back to this episode more centrally. So wait, this is truly the first I'm hearing of a director being replaced. So who was the original director? Were they there's fired? No, there's no uh, naming I don't know who it is um, and where I saw it. Uh, they, they did not indicate that they knew who it was, but it is definitive that Robert Rodriguez was brought in late to direct this. Uh, that is certainly interesting because among other things, Robert Rodriguez is one of two prominent directors in the last 40 years to resign from the director's guild, uh, which takes with it some, fairly serious you know kind of guild stuff hollywood being a union town uh george lucas is the other um obviously it's not enough to prevent robert rodriguez from making a ton of content for 
Netflix for theatrical release for this and so forth. But, um, but that's interesting. Um, and indeed, Pete, it is Slave One. Um, and I like, I like that the camera work stays with Mando. Um, let's not forget, if there's one word to describe this show week after week, and even in its conception, it is restraint. Yes, you could have the dun da da dun da dun da 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 and big close-up as Slave One fires into frame, and we see... You know, we see the pilot in there, you know, that kind of thing. But instead, it's from, it's not Mando holding the camera, but it's over Mando's shoulder. It's Mando's perspective. We can know it's Slave One. Other less informed fans, i.e. my daughter, will say, look, that is a ship that is different than the ones we normally see. It's different. It is mystery. Um, And that is so very Star Wars to be both, you know, I know who Luke's father is and you can watch not knowing who Luke's father is. Um, with Mando having looked away, ah, Pete, as our author friend notes, how these parts work in opposition to each other. With Mando's back turned, Grogu has now engaged the stone, and there's a column of energy around him. Mando tries to retrieve him and is rebuffed, um, though ultimately watches a hooded figure exit from Slave One. Mando slinks through a rocky patch of of uh, northern Los Angeles County, and uh, ducks when fired upon. Uh, he's told by the unnamed, but we know, Pete, that it is our Boba Fett, uh, that, that he, Mando, has been tracked. Yeah. Uh, last seen this robed figure on Tatooine. Uh, is he Jedi, he's asked, or after the child? He lowers his hood. We see Tamora Morrison's face He's there for the armor. Um, Mando thinks it's his Beskar armor he wants. No, he doesn't want your armor. He wants the armor that he got from Cobb Vanth of Tatooine. Love the the pronunciation there. Belongs to him. Is he Mandalorian, Matt? No. He's just a simple man trying to make his way through the galaxy like his father before him we got two references in one sentence uh yeah and i mean look obviously tamura morrison and his uh his fantastic new zealand accent and background and whatnot obviously no stranger to star wars given that it's now you know 20 years or so since he first uh since he first showed up in the star wars canon but just the notion this fitting notion that after playing Django fett after playing the clones um that the here he is now able to as as a slightly older person to um to play the slightly older version of boba fett it's just it's just so so fitting did this man take the mandalorian creed he gives his allegiance to no one mando says the beskar belongs to mandalorians it was looted in the purge but the armor was the stranger's bothers now it's his what's to stop mando from dropping him well this stranger has a sharpshooter on the ridge with a locked scope that will unload before his body hits the ground uh mando's the one wearing beskar though as soon as he sees the muzzle flash he'll kill them both he didn't mean she was going to shoot mando she matt 
Pete, the she is Fennec Shand, the triumphant return of Ming-Na Wen, Disney legend, to uh, the Star Wars universe here in what surely was a scene filmed during the last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So just talking about, I don't know, synergy and a special time and all of that. Uh, Pete, ultimately, the still unnamed Boba Fett, says, let's just all put away our weapons in chat. Yes, Pete, the notion that the gun-toting can actually put them away and talk, it gives us hope. Uh, and they indeed do just that. Uh, Fennec, who we widely assumed was killed, despite the uh, jingle-jangle of uh, Boba Fett's spurs showing up there at the end of, uh, of her last episode. Uh, Pete, she's got some robot parts in her midsection. Um... I, on the one hand, I want to be like, well, that's convenient. But, you know, we've seen them do that before in Star Wars, so mm -hmm. that's fine. Um, we get a little bit more background here, how uh, Boba Fett's father, Jango, got his armor from the Mandalorians as a gift. Pete, they would talk more, but wait, what's that? It's another ship. Uh, with that, Mando races back up the hill to get Grogu, but is repelled again by the energy. Yes, the uh, ship, a drop ship, lands next to the Razor Crest. On the hinge, Grogu continues to sit surrounded by that light, now with Mando knocked out. Boba and Fennec train their scopes on this drop ship. The ramp lowers at first, dark figures run out, and then into the light. They are stormtroopers, and a couple are taken out. There is an Orin orange pauldroned officer who's directing troops up boba motions to fennec here uh the orange uh trooper tells them uh to flank them you idiot as boba leans on a rock and footsteps approach with his gardaffy or gaffy sticks now matt i'm gonna just make a, a small tangent here for a second so Robert Rodriguez is a master of what is known as the grindhouse style of cinema when he makes more adult, uh, I mean, in terms of maturity offerings, not like sexuality. Okay. And then he also makes like the spy kids and the lava girl and shark boy. And he's got one coming to Netflix that follows up with that uh, Christmas day. Okay? Which also features Pedro Pascal. What? It does. It, it does. does. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I believe they're both Colombian. Um, I thought I saw uh, some some common uh, heritage there, but uh, definitely both Latinx. So um, here's what I want. Here's what I'm going to put out into the world, Matt, and hope that I get it back if it doesn't already exist and someone can point it to me. So my favorite Robert Rodriguez movie of all time uh, came in a... Uh, a film called Grindhouse that was several films. It was actually like a three and a half, almost four hour cinema experience. There's your Planet Terror. There's your directed by Rodriguez. There is your uh, Death Proof, your Quentin Tarantino movie, uh, coincidentally starring Rosario Dawson. Okay. And there's a bunch of faux trailers scattered in between, uh, which are a ton of fun. It's like my second favorite theatrical movie going experience of all time. And uh, Machete, 
the Danny Trejo uh, trailer, which they shot and then made a movie of, which was never the plan, but it was popular enough. You should actually make this movie. And they did. Okay. And, and they got Robert De Niro in it. Okay. So machete is my second favorite, uh, Robert Rodriguez film. I want somebody to cut a Gardafi or Gaffy trailer with Boba Fett from footage from this episode in a in a similar style so somebody please do that if somebody knows that somebody's already done that because the internet always wins let me know but i'm putting that out here uh for reference pete robert rodriguez uh the product of parents from mexico pedro pascal born in chile but uh, as you mentioned certainly the, the common latinx bond there uh the fight continues and what's so interesting about the introduction of the gaffy stick here and it's something we've talked about in the past disney products in particular obviously keen to be not just pg-13 but the right kind of pg-13 you know some pg-13 movies can show the naked bosom but that's not in the world of disney such things do not exist beneath the clothes um here boba fett using gaffy stick to smash the heck out of troopers we can't show blood but we you know we can't show flesh flying we can't show bones uh, breaking and sticking through skin but we can show stormtrooper helmets you know flaking cracking bits flying and so forth indeed when boba uses the pointy end uh in a stormtrooper who's on the ground stormtrooper is out of frame and goes ah um so again the blood implied in this pg-13 appropriate violence uh we also see a second wave of troopers coming out uh, there's a mortar cannon as well as Pete. Is that one of those other uh, laser cannons that we've seen before? Uh, an E-Web heavy repeating blaster. It is um, the the mortar trooper. They're setting up. Okay, and they all open fire with Fennec crouching behind uh, a rock, fired and chased uh, to it. And this boulder here gets mortared. And loose one, two, and this is why you go out and get Ming-Na Wen, Matt. She's able to push it. Uh, it rolls down, takes out, crushes one trooper, a second trooper. It wings a third as the E-Web attempts to uh, futilely blow it up in roll and takes it out like a bowling ball as the orange trooper watches it and then gets tapped on his shoulder, and Boba Fett clubs him to death. Pete, Lucasfilm knows rolling boulders, okay? Um, with the troopers seemingly down, we're about to get wave three. I guess they pack a bunch in these dropships, but Boba looks at Mando's ship uh, and the open door. Meanwhile, uh, Fennec is still doing the, uh, the, the fighting on the hill. She does a uh, run into a jump, turn around, and shoot behind her. Pete, some of our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. friends noted that a similar move was done on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with Ming-Na Wen's Melinda May character. Uh, they claimed thus that this was a ripoff from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I would propose that this is a really awesome but rather basic stunt move where if you're at the edge of a cliff or at the top of a hill or whatever, uh, you turn around and shoot and fall back away from it and it's a cool move and maybe not stolen from our the agents of shield uh that agents of shield took from elsewhere 
uh, indeed. Um, a second Imperial transport arrives just in time for Mando to wake up. So again, Pete, for those complaining that the story construction pieces are all there, you know, he's been down for the count because he got hit with the the energy column that he was trying to, to, to push into. He tries to get Gogu again, Grogu again and is again repelled. Uh, fine, stay there, says Mando. I'll be back. Um, so yeah, a little bit of that, you know, um, he can't get him, so fine, stay there. But then um, the force field drops and Grogu falls to his side, breathing heavily. So, um, Matt, one, conflict, two, tension, the drivers of plot. Uh, indeed, indeed. And I think, look, it's the lowest of hanging fruit to say the story construction for The Mandalorian is um, is basic. It, it might not be dealing with double twists and triple blind things. Um, you know, all the theories of it's not, you know, when we first saw the Tamora Morrison character teased uh, earlier in the season, all sorts of people are saying, well, it's not Boba Fett. It's going to be another clone. It's going to be Rex. It's going to be Cody. It's going to be its own. And, so, and it's like, well, wait, in the world of the Mandalorian as a show and oftentimes Star Wars in general, but certainly the Mandalorian show it goes for the direct route most of the time. That's not where it's making its. That's not where it's making its bread in terms of twists and turns and things that you couldn't understand. Even I think Pete of Game of Thrones, like every single time there was a great, there's a great moment, including Pedro Pascal's last scene on Game of Thrones. It was a rousing, happy success until the opposite happened. <laughs> That's just not how this show works, where it sets you up for one emotion and hits you with the opposite and. To point that out, you're just saying, oh, I figured out how the show works. O okay, so be it. But that's how the show works. Fennec is surrounded here. Uh, seems like she might do what the troopers say and give up because they don't want her. They want the child. But suddenly Mando is there, foot on a rock, whistling birds out of his gauntlet and Beskar to protect her. Another wave closes in. It doesn't look good, but he's seen worse. Uh, and they're going to get out of it because he owes her from last time. But they have a deal. And as they're surrounded, uh, there's more hits here. And suddenly, Matt, again, moment of highest tension. Uh, a detonator drops another one. They blow up and somebody has jetpacked in behind a stormtrooper just a second gonna stand up it is the iconic boba fett armor here on the uh robe now that he was wearing he stabs a guy he guns guys he blows up the ammunition box to the e-web cannon there are gauntlets there are punches i like personally when he grabs a guy puts him in a headlock and then shoots a rocket off into his chest and blows him back then maybe even better uh long speculated at the knee pad of boba fett's armor also fires rockets and then all these guys turn and run oh wait look over your shoulder i don't even need to do that he kills a guy to his six there i've waited 41 years to see boba fett wreck shop and uh we're still not even 
completely there in the awesomeness of this scene. This is just the appetizer. Well, and that's just it. You get Boba Fett as deadly as you thought the toy could have been, or as deadly as the toy was in your imagination in 1979. And I must admit, Pete, that's not my imagination as A, I was not alive then, and B, I wasn't quite on board with the, the Star Wars toys in my in my youth. But this ultimately is another reminder that there's so much of Star Wars, and for this is perhaps unique to Star Wars, but there's so much of it that the nostalgia takes place in the mind of the audience and not in the body of the story. For example, Pete, I will watch General Grievous on screen in the prequels and say, okay, he's a little, maybe a little bit of a letdown in the prequels. However, my experience in uh, some of the Star Wars games on Utapau, sometimes fighting General Grievous, sometimes just uh, in, in the Battlefront game, just fighting other baddies, that kind of supersedes that to a point where it is my nostalgia point. Uh, so again, I think that this, this triumphant return here of Boba Fett, meeting expectations for the audience members whose expectations have been pre-Empire Strikes Back and been on the adventures that, that you made yourself. So these troopers running back to the ship here, uh, Boba does the patented Django Fett blaster whirl before he holsters his pistol there. Uh, the dropship takes off. There's a great shot of the last trooper just making the ramp as it's pulling away. And then as only Robert Rodriguez could shoot, we get the slow motion stride of Boba Fett, the rangefinder tapped down. He targets the left dropship. You know what is coming here. It makes it no less impressive. The rocket leaves his jetpack. It hits the non-targeted transport ship, which then collides into the other. They both explode. They smoke they hit the ground and explode again and they turn 41 years in the making nice shot he was aiming for the other one after all pete the last time a boba fett backpack missile worked so well you had <laughs> taken the toy and fired it at your brother and hit him in the eye i thought you were gonna well it because it's glued in there and the the spring apparatus was taken out it didn't i thought you were going to say a child choked <laughs> there's that too and and for for those not in the know pete not making fun of uh choking and whatnot that the, the the toy had the missile fire action completely removed because of fear of choking yes it never was distributed that way there have since been versions that have come out that fire because uh, children apparently don't uh, choke anymore. But hey, Matt, there's a red flash in the sky. Should I be utterly terrified of another action figure purchase I have made that will not be delivered for about a year yet? Pete, this is the real tragedy, okay? And I say this from a an empowered, selfish geek point of view, okay? I know there's the whole baby that gets lost at the end, but... Then from the sky, that red flash comes down, hits the Razor Crest, demolished it. Pete, my the Lego Razor Crest. <laughs> I look at it now. I can turn. I can, I can see it now. It still is 
constructed. It now no longer is screen appropriate. Do I need to take it out back and drop it from the deck? I don't know what to do. It hurts, Pete. It hurts so much. But this is a show that our author friend says is uh, always predictable and uh, always on the cheap, I guess, or whatever. But but Pete, my the Razor Crest. I had been holding out hope that maybe it was made of Beskar or plated with Beskar. And I don't know that that's not been established as the case. I mean, you could plate things with gold. You could plate things with this, you know, highly defensive metal that maybe there's just a hotter, bigger laser than, but that the spear survives, that the shifter knob survives. I've got to know if, if that's Beskar as well, or if that's just hashtag storytelling. Matt. Yeah. I think that's just a story but, flourish. Yeah. Um, I have been actually reached out by a number of listeners like, Oh my God, Pete, are you okay? The razor crest is gone. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm fine, everybody. I get it. <laughs> I I really I really like what they did. I, I've got to wonder too, and and we'll talk long term theories. There's another ship on the scene, an iconic ship on the scene here. Uh, no wonder Hasbro moved as they did. So what they did to make a Razor Crest, which is in production now because the campaign, the crowdfunding campaign, has been closed was to do this HasLab, uh, we're not going to mass produce it and you're going to find it on a shelf in a store. No, you back it. If we hit a certain number, we make it. It funded within a day and a half. It was a 40-day campaign. They funded, I believe, like 28,000 of them. Um, and those would be the only 28,000 of them ever made. And, and no wonder there was the desperation to make it now. Now, did Hasbro get told... Um, chapter 14 is called the tragedy and it ain't because something happens to the child it's because the ship gets blown up it's possible this is also a hasbro that has been really really late to the game in terms of making product from the mandalorian because they are shown very little there have been leaks within hasbro before um for instance the Han Solo death in The Force Awakens was leaked, was traced back to a leak from uh, action figure uh, merchandising. So Disney's pretty secretive. Lucasfilm's pretty secretive. I doubt that that was the case. I have to imagine if maybe since the... Uh, the toys being produced now that maybe there'll be some fun. I mean, tomorrow's Mando Monday as we're recording this on a Sunday, they still haven't produced the box art. You know, there's been jokes floating around. I've sent Matt a couple of Lego boxes with piles of bricks or piles of dust. It'd be fun if maybe, you know, like April fool's day, Hey, we finally uh, put up the, the box art. Here it is. Sand. It's it, Pete. It's a tough moment, but in the body of the episode, they don't dilly dally. Okay, uh, the uh, Imperial ship which fired it is the Imperial cruiser that we've seen before that uh, Moff Gideon is on. In it, the Dark Troopers are engaged. Uh, we see them from wide shots. Then they come into frame. These hulking 
black robot masses. Very quickly, they land at the top of the stone circle there, um, indeed encircling the sleeping Grogu. So in terms of, uh, in terms of, kind of dramatic tension in the moment, it's very clear that they are there, Mando and Fennec at the bottom of the hill, starting to race up. But in quick order, the Dark Troopers take the sleeping Grogu and and launch and fire up. And just like that, Pete, you know, I think we spent 10 times the amount of time analyzing the demolition of the Razor Crest than the episode did in real time, uh, give us the explosion and then things getting much, much worse. Boba Fett having jetpacked out for fear that his ride was going to get blown up. He now in Slave One uh, is directed from the ground by Fennec, who says they have the baby. We get the repetition of the line, he spoke as a child, affirmative, which is just another great nod to the worst Star Wars movie in Attack on the Clones, uh, that Mando doesn't want the child hurt. Boba instead is going to do a loose follow, beat, beat, clouds, breaks through and sees this Imperial light cruiser. They're back. Who's back? The Empire. Uh, Wait, this isn't a spy stream? <laughs> it's not a spy stream. A spy stream? <laughs> Uh, some time goes by, then we see Mando shifting through the wreckage of the Razor Crest. He finds that metal ball and pockets it. He also pulls the Beskar spear out of the, the wreckage and the dirt. Pete, this is essentially the gift-giving scene from The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, which is to say, spoiler alert, both of these items will be used in the next two episodes in one way or another. Items procured... Uh, Boba shows Mando his chain code as encoded on the armor. He is Boba Fett after all. Pete, I think this is, among other things, it's a way to say to the hardcore uh, fans who've spent a lot of time making their vids and their blogs with a Z uh, to say that this is not Boba Fett, that it is somebody else, that it is a clone of a clone, that it is a time loop, whatever it is. No, no, he is Boba Fett. His father was a foundling and a veteran of the Mandalorian Civil Wars. I thank you was given um, in, in in the armor. Uh, and indeed, Boba Fett thanks uh, the Mandalorian for the return of the armor. Our deal is complete, says Mando. Not so, says Boba Fett. We promised to return the child to you, so we are in your debt, you know, for the rest of the dank ferric season. <laughs> Until the child is returned to Mando safely, they're in his debt. Uh, Slave One descends to Navarro, uh, where the Marshal of the New Republic, Cara Dune, has her feet up in her office in Mud City, Matt. Uh, she also has that, uh, that shiny badge of hers. Um, she's, of course, now properly Marshal Cara Dune. Which I know is a name she had gotten before, but I think it's an opportunity for the episode to really hammer that home. Uh, hey, can you locate someone in the pri uh, in the prison registry? Sure, no problem, says Akara Dune. Uh, who's Mando want? Mayfeld, the sharpshooter. Migs Mayfeld, yup, here's his file, serving 50 years. So what do you want him for? Hey, the plan 
for next week is to spring him uh no way says Kara and Mando saying but they have the kid so again Pete also portending the possibility that adding to the uh the, the new crew here of Boba Fett and Fennec Shand we're going to get Cara Dune and Migs Mayfeld um perhaps Grief Karga I don't know but setting up one heck of a you know a final lap in these next two episodes but P- wait Pete there's more <laughs> to the light cruiser in hyperspace here uh gideon looking out the uh the bridge decides to head back to see his quarry here the door opens and there is the child and he is using the force really just having his way with two stormtroopers uh Let's set to sun, stir. No, wait a second. I'd like to see what happens here. And um, it is less distinct than it was done before back in uh, Chapter 12, The Siege. But there is a remix by Ludwig Göransson, specifically of Kylo Ren's theme. So you mentioned uh, before maybe the butterflies a less canonical reference to kylo ren this is a direct reference to that so we'll talk all about in theories what the future might be for the child ultimately though with this uh, stormtrooper smashing here uh, it just tuckers out little grogu gideon knew that anticipated that uh and shows off the dark saber Grogu reaches for it, but no, no, you're not ready for it. It does, however, look like you're ready for a snooze. Uh, he, ultimately, Grogu gets uh, gets the stun ray shot at him, um, and the stormtroopers are told to put Grogu in shackles and said wor- send word to Dr. Pershing, we've got our donor. Let's chase down some theories. Pete, I don't mean to serve uh, myself and my geek concerns above those of the story. But can I hope, Pete, that at the end of this season, or maybe beginning of next season, in classic Star Wars toy fashion, uh, they find another Razorcrest model ship? Maybe this one um, with, with I don't know, blue and orange detailing, you know, enough so that... Uh, Is it the C-3PO red arm? Will it's it, the C-3PO red, red arm. I mean, and, and, and also, Pete, I know, like, Lego has released um, X-Wings for each of the sequel movies, um, and each one is a little bit different because they appear differently in each movie. So do I get, you know, uh, the new Razorcrest uh, Lego release in a year's time, which is the exact same brick count and brick layout. It's just got, you know, different colored bricks. I don't know. Slave One has been introduced on the show now and they're riding around in it. Uh, perhaps that is the way. It is interesting that the initial concept, I mean, I know the show was never presented as Boba Fett, but like the idea of, hey, you know Boba Fett? Well, we're going to do like a Boba Fett guy and he's a cowboy on his own in the universe. Here it took 13 episodes to get to, you know, the Boba Fett and crew um, flying around in the Boba Fett ship. Um, Just 
quite an astonishing journey. I guess, Pete, since this is theories, do you feel that for the next two episodes, it really is going to be Boba Fett, Fennec Shand, The Mandalorian, uh, perhaps Cara Dune, definitely Migs Mayfeld next episode? Are we going to get this big giant crew together and essentially get two 40-ish minute Star Wars movies in the next two weeks? Well, I'm going to answer that question. Let me back up. Uh, the Boba Fett show, let's remember, Matt, that among the first slate of Star Wars stories, your Rogue One being the first one, the second one planned was an untitled Boba Fett movie, and then you had Solo. Um, let's remember, too, that the director believed to have been attached to the Boba Fett movie, who was hmm, sick at a Star Wars celebration, could not come out and talk. Josh Trank was fired. He was fired by Kathleen Kennedy, you know, the much maligned by um, quote unquote straight white males who have a problem with a woman in charge, a woman who has won an honorary Oscar. Uh, so Kathleen Kennedy used leadership and judgment and intelligence to fire a man who was completely a wall from the uh, Louisiana uh, set uh, filming of a disastrous Fantastic Four film for entire stretches. The home that uh, was rented for him was done tens of thousands of dollars of damage by dogs for some apparent reason. Okay. So she fires him. We do not get this show, the Mandalorian. We do not get Boba Fett returning here. If not for that chain of events. So I just want to thank, you know, so many people this weekend have gone on social media and said, you know, John Favreau saved Star Wars. No, no, he didn't. Dave Filoni saved Star Wars last week. Hey, guys, um, their boss, Kathleen Kennedy, she's been saving Star Wars since George appointed her uh, in 2012. So you're welcome. Now, Pete, just to offer the counterpoint here, Josh Trank uh, did go on to make the movie Capone, which was released in this last year, which has a 41% on Rotten Tomatoes, and critics said, it's nuts, it's a mess. Uh, if you don't mind characters pooping the bed, getting stabbed in the neck, um, it's Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Does a character actually defecate in a, in a bed in that movie, or is that metaphor? The quote here from Stephen Pond writing for The Wrap says, It's nuts, it's a mess, it's a mess, it's pretty damn entertaining if you don't mind characters pooping the bed and getting stabbed in the neck. I've got to take that on it on its face value. So you're saying the guy that made an unwatchable Fantastic Four movie and we went and watched it. We actually interviewed the young Mr. Fantastic actor uh, who is a relative of one of my coworkers? Okay, uh, the the poor kid's film career uh, probably derailed because Josh Trank is an awful 
choice as a director and through social media has shown himself to be a pretty terrible person at times. Um, so again, this worked out in the best possible way. It definitely did. And just to circle back to your main point, this being done on the shoulders of Kathleen Kennedy. Yes. Yes. I think there is a, there has been a, a disturbing trend of star Wars projects gone awry and, she needs to fire people when things get bad, which calls into question, should they have been hired in the first place? But, you know, you only call the fire department when the house is on fire. Until then, you have hopes that the house is going to be great. And certainly the renaissance, not just the Star Wars renaissance, the biggest thing, if one wants to be pessimistic, the only thing of major note on Disney Plus in terms of new product uh, in the last year a lot of it, you know, impacted by uh, recently released movies not making their way because they haven't been released and so forth. But the the major thing on Disney Plus, the difference maker, is The Mandalorian, the show that she has overseen and said yes to things and no to things and yes, let's hire this person and so forth. So certainly she she deserves as much credit as Favreau and Filoni in terms of launching this show and oh, I don't know, Disney Plus. We had a suspicion when we got not a post credit scene, but a, a, a late episode scene of Fennec Shan's body of uh, an unseen except for Boots uh, visitor. Uh, was it Boba Fett? Was it somebody else? Now we know it was Boba Fett. So Fennec Shan lives, Matt, and our Ming-Na Wen continues to remain in Star Wars and she's the one that gets to say Boba Fett for the first time in this episode. That's awesome. It is. It really is. And it is also, I can't help but tie it back to a conversation that we've had in the last couple of weeks as to, uh, shall we say, which, which characters might go on and on in The Mandalorian, which performers may be burning bridges at Disney and so forth. To, to add Fennec Shand back to the mix is great for the character. It's great because everyone loves Ming-Na Wen. It's great for diversity. Uh, and also, quite frankly, if changes are going to be made outside the story, uh, to the story in seasons moving forward, Fennec Shand and Ming-Na Wen is another piece that could add to, to, to a positive puzzle there. Um, Pete, in terms of other theory payoffs, I mean, they, didn't, they certainly didn't dilly-dally with the Dark Troopers. Um, didn't really dilly dally with the Boba Fett reveal, uh, in so far as it hasn't been, you know, a year or two years, that kind of thing. Uh, we got more dark saber. We have a clear trajectory for the next two episodes. So what theories do remain in an episode that answered quite a bit? So you talked about the, uh, the blue butterfly. Um, yeah, there is a star Wars kids, uh, you know, rough style cartoon on YouTube. There's a Ben Solo and the Bug Hunters chapter, and there's some blue butterflies. Okay, I I don't know that we can consider ancillary Star Wars shorts as quote unquote canonical. The test has always been to this point: films, TV, any media after the purchase uh in 2012 specifically 
earmarks because that's when they said, all right, we're going to go legends and then we're going to go. I don't even think they call it Canon. I just think they, it's star Wars. Um, it's an interesting nod. Uh, I don't know that without some kind of explanation, we're meant to directly draw that, oh, this blue butterfly is the force that Grogu puts his hand to the stone when the Mandalorian looks away and the blue force field lights up that he can't penetrate the writing uh, around the base of the stone lights up. Um, more interesting to me is the quoting of this Ben Solo theme, which incidentally also has notes of the child's theme that's been used for him, uh, particularly in light of uh, the force, you know, using it to protect them from the, uh, the incinerator trooper back in the cantina. Um, I've got to wonder about, given what we see at the end of this episode with Grogu choking out stormtroopers, smashing them together, now in the hands of um, Moff Gideon, we know he wants his M count. They have the donor, but could there be the, you know, idea, some kind of manipulation training to the dark side? Yeah, in fact, I was going to say, though I have no doubt that John Williams wrote the music for Kylo Ren, whether whether it was formally called Kylo Ren's theme or has been used with that intention, there's nothing to say that Ludwig Göransson might not be quoting it, not to say Kylo Ren is coming, not to say Darth Vader theme, it's Darth Vader, Jaws theme, it's Jaws, but instead to say the seductive power of the dark side, the building of the dichotomy of good and evil and things of that sort. Um, I, I do wonder as well, you know, talking theories here, last we saw Slave One, it was off the planet. Do we, uh, off uh, Tython. Do we get, do we get at any point in a, in a semi post-credit scene or something like that, do we get someone who shows up at Tython and it's a cool geek moment, or it's a setup for season three where, you know, the ship lands and uh, black boots walk up the hill and uh, one fleshy hand rubs over the uh, <laughs> the seeing stone and the other a robot hand or, or black clad hand, that sort of thing. And, you know, no face required, but just the notion, hey, it's Luke Skywalker. Or you get, you know, uh, Ahsoka searching, although I doubt she'd be searching at the seeing stone. But, you know, some kind of thing to say here's the season three mystery that we're going to let you noodle over at the end of season two. I mean, I think that's certainly a possibility. Um, did a Jedi see Grogu through the stone? Is he supposed to see them? I love too. We didn't talk about it as we went through the recap that he does kind of the yoga pose with his hands. Uh, the, the Zen moment that he has. Um, Matt, is it just the light side of the force? Could someone from the dark side have sensed him too and be coming? I mean, we talked about the possibility of, of Luke, super obvious. I, I don't know that that's how they go now. We talked about the possibility of Ezra since Grand Admiral Thrawn has been referenced now. Would Ezra reach out? 
there is because of the video games Jedi Falling Order there is another Jedi named Cal Cestus who is potentially out there there's the possibility of Jedi we don't even know who could potentially show up um I think it's interesting the way that they chose to do this that the child gets abducted having touched the force here now did what happened to him is it essentially like a Jedi tracking beacon that he's made himself aware to the universe with force users and, and they can track him through hyperspace. The story will be what it wants us to follow. If that makes sense. Uh, If John Favreau decides, yes, he touched the force. He's now, you know, set off a flare that you can follow him with to the force. I'm fine with that. Um, I, I think it's interesting as well. It's specifically said in this episode that uh, the Mandalorian was tasked with helping Grogu find more of his kind. One of the things we talked about at the very beginning of the season was, you know, will we get the name of this race that Yoda and Grogu belong to? Are they all explicitly force sensitive uh, force users? Uh, Could they show up? Could we finally get a name of that race? I think that's potentially in the offing as well. I'm glad you mentioned Favreau because I think with a lot of these details, uh, for as much as I like to to tease about the uh, the Star Wars gallery um, episodes where John Favreau interrupts people all the time, um, the dichotomy that Favreau has with Filoni I think is important to keep in mind. Things like the blue butterflies or things like the the various levels, kind of you know A B C levels of Jedi who are out there. Is it Luke Skywalker, the the movie generational hero? Is it Ezra Bridger, the 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 well regarded character from Star Wars Rebels that has had less penetration than Luke Skywalker since 1977? Uh, is it Cal Cestus from the video games? That's kind of my A B C level. Um, sometimes there are sometimes Favreau has an idea. Again, we've seen this in the gallery episodes. He has an idea and will just turn to Filoni and say, you know, like, what's a thing to help complete the last little bit here? For example, Favreau or Robert Rodriguez might have said, you know, in this scene, so we got the puppet sitting on the paper mache semicircle stone here uh, in, in a set. Uh, I know we're going to put in like the, the blue wavy lines or whatever. Uh, we got something. We, we need to do something else to fill the frame. Um, I don't know. Uh, l- let's say birds. And F- Filoni might come in and say, ooh, how about blue butterflies? Okay, great, blue butterflies. Now, Filoni knows, oh, it's because it ties into this thing. Filoni also might know we're not setting up the return of young Kylo Ren or young Ben Solo or whatever it is. Just what you got to fill a frame uh, in widescreen as you're looking at a great puppet that's not moving, you know, whose legs aren't moving, who's not moving across the frame, and you don't see the wavy lines yet, so this feels really boring, uh, Filoni picks blue butterflies, you know, and so forth. What what Jedi might show up, we're not necessarily setting up, you know, the Cal Cestus Chronicles in two years on Disney Plus with video game and comic book tie-in, but that is a piece that's out there that might be pulled... <laughs> that might be majorly promoted or it might just be, you know, in passing the legends are mentioned, you know, that sort of thing. It's kind of 
you know you don't quite know what's the John Favreau. I like Star Wars. Here's my broad strokes, and there's Filoni. I have all this stuff memorized because I sat at the foot of the father. I spent all these years with George Lucas. Now I am the now I am the Star Wars Yoda. Now that George has passed from this world, not life, just you know, <laughs> just just Lucasfilm HQ. You don't even need to have the Jedi come in these last couple episodes. I mean, heck, Matt, it could be a, a season before somebody answers the call. I think someone has to answer the call. I think the, the story demands that. But now we have this building of the team. We have this bounty hunter Avengers thing. You know, you mentioned Mando, Boba, Fennec, Cara Dune, okay? You, you would potentially, uh, you're going to go after Mix Mayfield, here in this next episode is is that the self-contained uh journey in this next episode or do they spring them and then then start in on the the rescue attempt in this next episode who knows okay can we add to that five grief carga six um hey matt the number seven and westerns have any kind of resonance because i could think of another marshall who might join them for a big adventure. Um, might it be the Marshall from earlier, earlier in the season, or can I just throw out there, can we get live-action Cad Bane at some point? Well, I'd, I'd love to see that too, but if Boba Fett and Fennec Shan can be trusted, and I think we need to evaluate that in a moment, um, I don't know that we can trust Cad Bane. <laughs> Rats. I don't know that we can trust Miggs Mayfeld, but if they break him out and he's ex-Imperial, he's at least motivated there. Could it be a double cross? I think these stories are best when they're like that. Um, do you trust Boba Fett and Fennec Shand? Uh, could they have been sent by Grand Admiral Thrawn? That is assuming that Thrawn and... Uh, Moff Gideon are not working together in this episode. So we go on context. Boba Fett says he gives his allegiance to no one yet has given it now to the Mandalorian. Um, he also says that fate sometimes steps in to rescue the wretched. So he's telling you, I am bad. Can we, should we trust him? I think that this is the Boba Fett of John Favreau's childhood, the one who was, um, you know, the man with no name, the Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns, but Star Wars and all of that promise that ultimately the character did not necessarily bring to Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So I think here we can trust Boba Fett. I don't think this is a setup for a double cross. Uh, I think that it's Honor Among Thieves, and it's the Magnificent Seven, and all of that. Ditto for Fennec Shand, if not even more so. I mean, we kind of don't have... I mean, yes, Fennec Shand has done bad things for bad people, but, you know, so has Han Solo. We still like him. I mean, I think they're all they're all being presented as um, adorable rogues here. I also think we've seen enough of Boba Fett bounty hunting, um in empire strikes back i don't know that we need to go back for it it's actually the the bounty hunt you know twist and turn i mean heck if they wanted to drop mando they could have just dropped mando right then and there 
Um, so I think that we're headed towards, I mean, I mean, Pete, you're right. We're at six. If we could get to seven, then you would really kind of know, you know, you would know Favreau's playbook and Favreau's intention there. Um, the armor that, uh, Boba Fett got back from Mando, he said it was his father's, it was his. So that's never been canonically linked that, the armor i mean slave one is the same ship that his father had he just changed the paint job uh but never had the iconic green and red armor been linked to that specifically being Django's formerly silver and blue armor um i mean f- for me it works i know that uh i know the clone wars has more of young Boba Fett in a series of stories I don't particularly care for. But to me, the notion that when the boy grew up to be the man and could finally put on the armor, the idea that the idea that he was going to repaint it to make it his own. So it still is the armor itself. It's just new paint for a new guy. Uh, to me, that completely tracks, let alone the fact that obviously it was actually made in reverse and that they came up with the Boba Fett armor and then, George needed to delineate how it was different, um, how the armor was different, uh, or a type of armor like that was different in the prequels. So, whichever way you want to slice it, to me, it to me it works. Is his armor just by virtue of being Mandalorian armor? Is it also composed of Beskar? I would imagine so, and I think it also comes with the the handy storytelling bonus of. Uh, now Boba Fett can be shot multiple times in perilous situations like we saw with uh, with Mando here when they're all surrounded. Like, they're going to miss Fennec Shand or she's going to be slightly behind him or whatever it is. But you get you get kind of full consequences of taking fire and no consequences because it's the bulletproof outfit. Now you got two of them. We had wondered before how the Jawas came to be in possession of Boba Fett's armor. It seems he did not give it willingly, want to get away from, you know, former association with it or uh, sell it. So, again, where that story might be told at some point, how that happened. Matt, there's also been a fair amount of, shall I say, Fett shaming that's gone on the last couple days um i was not aware of that tell me more and 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 does this retain a pg-13 rating it does um tamora morrison is in his 50s uh when i'm in my 50s and you know the the makeup that he wears here is made to look rugged that he's uh been inside the great pit of carcoon and the Sarlacc beast there uh, starting a journey of digestion that was supposed to last a thousand years. And he's gotten out. Um, He's still alive. He's scarred. uh, But people have pointed to his figure and attempting to shame him. I will grant you that there are a couple scenes where maybe the Boba Fett pre armor cloaks and the placement of the belt when you then put the armor over it, maybe the tum-tum and the, the belt um, uh, shows in a way that perhaps is not, is not what, you, what you hoped for on screen. I will mention, by the way, um, Pedro Pascal being 
physically in more of these episodes for season two than season one, you know, follow the Mandalorian's waistline as well. I'm certainly not saying Pedro Pascal is is anything less than a, a fit, handsome man, but I think that the the very lean Brendan Wayne and the 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 more stocky Pedro Pascal, if you want to follow the belt on Mando, you can play that game too. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, let me put it this way, Pete. Maybe when they finally got that footage, maybe there was a discussion. Should we resize the armor slightly for Mr. Morrison versus we just used a 3D printed copy of something that we scanned made for Jeremy Davies, if that was the name, you know, back in 1978 when we were designing the costume? Maybe, but if this is really what people are hanging their hats on, I mean, give me a break here, particularly since within the world of the story, you can say Boba Fett's rounded out a little bit as he's slowed down in life and isn't, you know, isn't running around bounty hunting all the time. There's a tremendous amount of cholesterol in crate dragon meat. I just want to point that out. Uh, and you know, and this is this is uh, Pete. Oh my good, this is this is how it's all connected. Cholesterol, Pete. What's a prescription way to battle cholesterol? I don't know. <laughs> Lipitor. Guess who was involved in the Lipitor trials? Robert Rodriguez. Guess how much he what? was paid? Seven thousand dollars. Guess what he used the seven thousand dollars for? El Mariachi, his first movie. Oh my god. There gosh. you go. That is all 100% true and it goes to show you that Boba Fett's tum tum uh is actually a call back to Robert Rodriguez. There you go. It's the it's it's the 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 uh Troublemaker Studios connection. <laughs> that is all true by the way. Robert Rodriguez is making movies today because he wanted money to make a movie and did a 30-day daily Lipitor trial for which he got paid $7,000. Oh, my. How do you know this? <laughs> I'm, I'm a man of cinema, Pete. I know. And furthermore, I was like 14 when Desperado came out. Not only is it great violence, but Salma Hayek, man. I mean, it, 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 all, it all works. Uh, on health. So Fennec Shand reveals her midsection now has some kind of robotic uh, bits We've seen this with Luke before. Uh, is she entirely robotic? Was she really dead? Was she at death's door? I mean, Boba says left for dead on the sands of Tatooine. He was not left for dead on the sands of Tatooine. He was eaten by the great pit of Carcoon. This is some story baloney hand waving. However, it does not bother me. Um, it, it just, it is what it is in terms of they wanted to bring her back. It was heavily suggested in the timeline that she was rescued shortly after the fatal shot. I also, you know, we also did not get last season, um, you know, the, the, the flat line of the EKG. We didn't get, you know, time of death, 1231 PM. Ah, damn it. And I throw my gloves away because we lost her. Like there's death and then there's death. And if you're going to nitpick over things in Star Wars, fine. The fact that she was mortally wounded or or appeared to be dead and then got the broken parts replaced with robot, you know, it all tracks within the sci-fi fantasy that's more fantasy than sci-fi. It all tracks. If we're going to call it, if we're going to lean towards fantasy, it's the same as, and a spell was given and it thus healed her. Like, it's the same story function. Uh, two more from me, Matt. First, the Imperial dropships. I love that they went to the 
Force Awakens First Order design and then uh, retconned that uh, is a is a great nod. I mean, Pete, bottom line takeaway from these dropships is they make military sense. And it's kind of one of those things where the absence of them, you didn't quite question. Just similarly in the Hoth scenes in Empire Strikes Back, it's like, how did the big elephant walkers get down there? And then only X number of years later, um, I, I think in um, Attack of the Clones, perhaps, you know, you see that there are that there are walker dropships that let them go and presumably go back up to get another one from the star the, the the star destroyer or whatever it might be. So, a ship like this, I mean, somewhat akin to those uh, th- those landing vehicles, uh, you know, from attacking the beaches at Normandy in World War II. I think there's a little kind of common design there, but it's it's a design that makes sense. Lastly, where is the jetpack? Well, I think the jetpack... I wouldn't be surprised, Pete, if the jetpack just shows back up on Mando's back um, because in an unseen moment, he retrieved it. Why did he get rid of it? And, and again, Pete, some hand-wringing. Oh, they the got rid of the jetpack. I know why he got rid of the jetpack. It was to hobble that cool power it was to kryptonite that particular power um so that he couldn't quickly get up the hill to stop the dark troopers and so on and so forth so uh, my expectation is we know it was not on the razor crest we know it was not on the hill and squished by a dark trooper so i expect it on mando's back uh next time unless of course they've intentionally written it out because they know in the next two episodes oh if only he could fly up that would solve it but we want to give him a story block because that's how drama works therefore if only i had my jetpack but now i must climb etc all right extend that antenna our poll this week pete continuing our our kind of uh, uh Shades of the Rainbow kind of kind of voting here, not necessarily a one, two, three, four. Uh, the choices, uh, oh my, the other legend, 12.5%. Oh my, the legend, 12.5%. Pete, in my mind, the legend was Disney legend Ming-Na Wen, mm-hmm. and the other legend was the legendary Boba Fett, but it could go either way. It's all flexible. Uh, oh no, the child got 32.5%. And then Pete, showing that our <laughs> listeners are in line with us. Oh no, the ship. Got 42.5%. Some responses here. James the Sagacious, at Big Killin' on Twitter. Great episode. Finally get to see Boba Fett showcase his skills. Who could have predicted Ming-Na teaming up with Boba and another Mandalorian to save a baby Yoda that was using the Force to find a Jedi as directed by Ahsoka Tano, who's on the hunt for Thrawn? Good times. If you had that on a bingo card, okay... You'd need to get struck by lightning several times for that to happen, but it just did. Um, yeah, and I know I, I saw something on Twitter a couple days ago that was like, if you told me in the early 90s, early, early 2000s that uh, the star of Swingers, the director of Desperado, and, and then they said something which I think was Filoni, like... I think he was in Power. He was doing Powerpuff Girls or something like that before Star Wars, you know. But that those three people got together to make an episode with da 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 from this point, you know. I'd say you were crazy. But moving on uh, on Twitter here, Pete J T Adkins. That's at J T A is me. The twists, the turns. Not happy about the danger to Grogu, but that's drama. No, great episode. Uh, J T understands drama. We heard from Andre Yeager at Doctor Polo in 1983. 
each episode is better than the next. Gideon is such a menace, and the child wore himself out throwing stormtroopers. Glad Mingna is back, and the scenes with her, Mando, and Boba were epic. Next week, can't get here soon enough. Uh, in terms of voting in the poll, uh, Ian Day Blake, that's at Blake1701D, said, All of the above. Uh, Opal, which is USS Jellyfish, had questioned which legend is Mingna. Pete, she is all legends. Uh, all and legends. last the legend lastly spider ham lincoln that's at tess lc 139 as i said last week mando improves each episode most sad about razor crest uh as i'm confident grogu will be okay boba fett slash tamora is awesome slave one yes this show is so good which jedi will answer the call love to hate gideon 10 out of 10 so pete what do you have on your end over on the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, we heard first from Steve Adams, who writes in The Tragedy. As soon as I saw the title, I actually thought about turning it off. Such is the emotional investment these characters um, and this series have earned. I did not want to see a tragedy, but of course, the story must progress. The Dark Troopers looked great. Boba Fett was finally named. I'm sure we will get some story about his survival soon. I hope. And Fennec Shand is back as well. That was very gratifying. Did any Jedi hear Grogu? Will we even get that answer? A lovely effect on the shot used to knock Grogu out. An obvious callback to the original movie. And the Razor Crest is gone Pete, what does this mean for your hefty investment? <laughs> we knew the end game for this season had to kick in soon, and boy, did it ever. Every time I think this show can't get any better, it does. I don't know how long this episode was, but it felt like 15 minutes. How do I wait another whole week knowing Grogu is in danger? But wait we must. Until next week, stay fantastic. Indeed, Pete. I mean, a lot of wait in the next two weeks, but after that, even a longer wait. So I will take, I'll, I'll take these seven day pauses uh, while we have them because uh, December eighteenth is going to be here real fast, and then the great, the, the great Star Wars drought will begin. Luckily, uh, to be replaced by WandaVision uh, early in in January. Robert T. Frost writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Matt and Pete, my son and I usually watch the new episode of The Mandalorian on Friday evening after he arrives home from work. But last week was a little wonky, so we were unable to do so. Please realize I've never watched The Clone Wars or Rebels. Thinking that he had already seen the episode, The Jedi, I told him I had a question. Since when can anything even Beskar steal stop a lightsaber he came back with insert a slightly horrified voice tone dad spoilers so he begins the episode and sees the silhouette of ahsoka tano and somehow managed to inhale and squeal with excitement at the same time <laughs> lol emoji which led to my second question how is it that a jedi is so aggressive even if she is on the attack my impression while watching Jedi fights is that there is a kind of fluid defensive offense akin to the martial arts style of Aikido. 
in that the aim is to use the attacker's strength and momentum against himself. My son explained some of her backstory that could lend itself as to why she's so aggressive, but I thought I would ask Master Pete for his opinion. Wow. Um, alas, or I'm sorry, alas. Also, when you gentlemen were discussing Grand Admiral Thrawn and who could possibly play him, I thought I'd nominate Daniel Gillies. Yes, I know he was on the CW in the shows, uh, The Vampire Diaries and The Originals, but he played his character of Elijah Michelson uh, with such a quiet menace, a restrained strength that was just under the surface and a certain flair that made him one of the better characters in the shows. Furthermore, he's a Canadian-born New Zealander at what I think would be the right age for Admiral Thrawn. May the force, Matt spelled with a PH here, uh, be with you. Your friend, Bob. P.S. The Razorcrest. No. Now I really have to find $350 to buy an oversized collective item I have absolutely no room for. <laughs> well, if room is a concern, the Lego version is less expensive and less big, but uh, also, I dare say, less glorious. Pete, I guess one kind of theory takeaway from there. So let's get you on the record here. Do we see Thrawn this season in the next two episodes, which may be as little as half hour, that may be as much as an hour apiece somewhere in there. Do we get Thrawn? I can, I address the, the episode length thing. Okay. These can all be 28 minutes of actual footage, Matt, if they're going to be this good. Uh, I had text you on Wednesday night when people were uh, moaning on social media that this episode is only 32 minutes because there have been some leaks from some data mining in different places about the episode's length. Um, The length doesn't matter. What happens in the episodes matter. That being said, to think that you're going to get a prison break a magnificent seven team up to raid a uh, Imperial light cruiser and rescue the child and possibly a Jedi showing up and Grand Admiral Thrawn showing up, I think is an awful lot for these two episodes. Could it be done? It it definitely could. Uh, Is there another left field thing we've not had yet? That's that's possible. Does, does the Falcon fly by who knows? Uh, if you get Thrawn, maybe it's the old through a hollow. There is somebody on the other end and it's a male and there's a slight alien tinge because he's got kind of like high alien brows uh, that you could make enough about it. But there's never a voice used. Could you do that one? Uh, do you close the season with somebody coming into a room and telling a blue-skinned alien with red eyes and black hair, some piece of information. There's a bunch of different ways to do it. I just don't know that they need to play every card right now. I'm tickled pink about this, uh, you know, Avengers team of bounty hunters. Like, this to me, pinch me that this is even happening after you pinch me that I watched this episode at three o'clock in the morning the other day. I, I thought I was still dreaming. 
Well, Pete, will you will you answer his question directed to Jedi Master Pete? <laughs> I'm I'm flattered. Um, the idea of Ahsoka fighting with aggressiveness, I I do like uh, Bob's tip to Akito. I'll go with um, Filoni as the writer, the director of Ahsoka here, um, more so the wandering uh, samurai. Um, let's remember too, though the episode is called the Jedi, she's left the Jedi order, um, probably does not, though she is called a Jedi, consider herself one. She's actually said in rebels, I'm no Jedi. And, uh, I think there's the question too, just because someone fights with a lightsaber, it doesn't necessarily make them a Jedi. I mean, she she seems to be something other, though she knows the Force and though she fights for good. Uh, the aggressive nature, I mean, she fights with, with two lightsabers. I feel a little bit of that defensive offense. The, the storytellers are going to tell us what we need to know. Pete, let's go to the email inbox. This first one sent by Mike Sorensen uh, last Sunday after we had recorded. He says, good Sunday evening, gentle beings. This is really more for fueling discussion than reading directly, uh, but I tend to let my thoughts drift, so it might ramble a bit. This weekend, I've been watching various reaction videos following the incredible new episode of Mandalorian. Again, Pete, last week's episode. I've noticed a recurring theme in a lot of comments. Uh, that of using Ahsoka Tano's comment uh, that Force users can't really use the Force unless they're trained, that their ability will just die out. A lot of commenters are uh, using this dialogue to attack the portrayal of Rey in the sequel trilogy. Her refusal to change the newly identified Grogu is also based on the loose, uh, a loose sound like sand-like foundation. I think both of these issues stem from the same problem, Ahsoka's training. The crux of the problem, as I see it, is that even though Ahsoka has said since the latter seasons of the Clone Wars that she's not a Jedi, but uh, she spent 16 to 17 years of her life being trained. Indoctrinated might be a more suitable word, but it ruffles feathers. Uh, she doesn't have any outside perspective. She only has what she is told. No attachment. Fear leads down the path of the dark side, and Anakin's fall was because of his own attachment. While I've never been a youngling at the Jedi Temple myself, I imagine they likely have a lot of rules similar to the first few years at Hogwarts. Don't use, don't use your abilities outside of training. All of these lessons would have been drilled deep into her psyche and shaped her thinking about all things Force-related. Whether or not she claims a place in the Jedi Order, she absolutely has the Jedi mentality. Grogu has already demonstrated his capacity for using the Force to protect Din Djarin. Well before the controversy over the eggs, the child used the Force to choke Cara Dune when he thought she was a threat to Jaren. Oddly, there were very few cries that he was evil or a darksider based on that incident. It didn't stop him from being cute and cooing and eschewing violence by hiding in his carrier or stopping him from selling mountains of merchandising. Uh, no one seemed to have any issues about an assumed, untrained Force user before this episode. But now that Ahsoka has chimed in, everyone's saying, See, you have to have training to use the Force. Pete, later on the email, Mike says, One last note about Ahsoka's worries for Grogu's attachment and fear. There's a fair bit of contradiction from the previous big-eared Muppet Jedi Master. 
In episode one, Yoda tells the young Anakin Skywalker that fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. This appears to be at the heart of Ahsoka's worries for the child, a deeply, a deeply ingrained tenant of the Jedi Order. But the same wise Master Yoda, about 35 years later, uh, when talking to Luke Skywalker, uh, after Luke asserted, I'm not afraid, told Anakin's offspring, you will be. As part of Luke's training with Yoga, uh, Yoda, arguably the greatest Jedi teacher ever, was to make Luke Skywalker afraid. Uh, thanks to you guys, as always, for the work that you do with the Star Wars podcast, the Marvel work, and every other pod you guys do. Thank you for keeping helping keep geekdom informed and entertained. Pete, that from Mike Sorensen last week. Well, Mike is certainly always thoughtful uh, when he reaches out to us. It is a little incongruous, this idea, fear, Yoda saying, you're, you're going to be afraid. I think that's more so like you have to fight through it and, and look what Luke ultimately does. He, he has to face Vader. Uh, he's told he has to face Vader. He breaks off from that with the disclosure of uh, Vader as his father. Do we trust it? Do we not? Um, and then ultimately has to go back and, and do it again. You've got to fight through the conflict and not avoid it. Um, I agree with what he's saying, too, that not enough people pointed to Cara Dune being choked out uh, by the child in the first season, thought it more defensive ref, uh, reflex than anything else. Um, I think you have to, with every Jedi, face a point at some time where the dark side comes a call and otherwise what's the point it's free will it's the choice do you give into what your weakness is here um dinjarin the mandalorian as a father figure as his closest attachment in the universe and what uh position he might be put in i mean does does the magnificent bounty hunter team get it handed to them and Grogu's got to bail them out, you know, like the idea that Boba Fett could be saved by a child of Yoda's species to my five-year-old self is making me gleeful. Pete, I do like the idea that with this great super team assembled to save the child, I do like kind of the notion that they're all going to get to, they're going to get to the final boss battle and it'll somehow, which I don't mean literally like it's the seven fighting uh, Moff Gideon, but I do kind of like the idea that at a certain point it's like, oh, Grogu didn't need help getting out of the, uh, the, the, the security cell. He blasted the door off himself, that sort of thing. Pete, in, a, uh, in another email, Mike Sorensen uh, shares some thoughts about some of the, uh, the behind-the-scenes discussions that we've had. Uh, on Gina Carano, from listening to your comments, you're going to completely disagree with me on this, but we as fans need to stop canceling actors for their beliefs. I couldn't be more opposite in views from Ms. Carano, but she has not advocated for actually harming anyone, unlike some of our quote-unquote leaders. Uh, she simply holds a point of view that's not popular. She's allowed to do that. If Disney starts firing people for holding and expressing their opinions, which is completely their choice as a private company, they're going to start to face backlash from the other side. The smartest thing Disney as a company could do would be to issue a statement like this one. While we don't agree with the views expressed, we won't punish anyone for holding their own beliefs to the extent that they're not actively causing harm uh, or suggesting harm to others. As an addendum, the same issue is coming up surrounding Rosario Dawson. 
If anything, Dawson should be a wider target because she's actually had court cases and lawsuits brought against her, whereas Carano is simply expressing herself on social media. Dawson's court cases have been closed out in her favor, and she should also not suffer any employment repercussions from things that are not connected to the work itself. If Disney sets a precedent to chart their course, they need only look after their own knee-jerk reaction to James Gunn and the complaints about tweets from a decade earlier. Disney kicked him to the curb, then they had to crawl back to him uh, to return so they didn't lose one of their biggest franchises. When you respond to social outcry as opposed to actual professional and business decisions, that's no way to make business decisions. No matter what side of the issue you land on, the side that yells the loudest shouldn't be considered the the default right side. Pete, I agree with Mike that I think Disney was... Ultimately, Disney has looked back at how they handled the James Gunn thing, realized that they they got spanked and they did the spanking themselves and that that needs to inform decisions moving forward. Uh, Whether you want to call it cancel culture, whether you want to call it corporate, you know, whatever kind of corporate decision making, I think that it it will be long remembered that they mishandled the James Gunn thing and they're going to keep that in mind moving forward. I mean, Mike is super fair in his assessment, I think far more fair than than I've felt Um, on the distinction between Dawson and Carano. To me, that a lawsuit was brought against Dawson and her family and all but all of it has been dismissed is evidence that it's not the case. The thing that worries me the most with Gina Carano is the mocking or belittling of the trans pronoun uh, identification. And that to me, tangibly, I had a, a student I taught uh, take her life, uh, transgender student uh, leapt off the George Washington bridge. The last discussion I ever had with that student uh, in a senior classroom Uh, told me as uh, then he, Roger, left the room um, that this was the best English class he had ever had, nay, the best class he'd ever had. And it was a student that, uh, you know, she was a student who uh, struggled very much physically um, in her time in my class, in school in general, Somebody like Gina Carano doing that and fully knowing what she's doing is harming people, whether uh, she might realize that or not. It's an intentional choice to do that. She changed it. She knew it was either wrong or in poor taste. And I just wonder what poor soul out there, super into Star Wars or Disney that also happens to be trans or is exploring their identity saw that and was hurt or disappointed and that's where i feel the influence that they wield and let's talk about everybody our words carry weight and i tend to agree there's there's been this backlash on on quote unquote cancel culture and i completely get it i i understand it but your words matter. And uh, if you make a mistake, you can redeem yourself. You can atone from that. And I don't think somebody should lose a job from that. 
but I feel like there's been this doubling down by Carano on this. Um, I, again, like is is far more fair than than I think I have been, but I have this perspective, and I I just feel like the belittling of somebody going through that process and what I've experienced with someone taking their life because they didn't feel that, uh, that, that people saw them, this potentially leads to that type of situation. Pete, on a lighter note, uh, Mike shares a little bit more here. Uh, wondering if he, if he hasn't provided enough email content to choke a Sarlacc. So, uh, that certainly made me chuckle, particularly as we, as we, uh, move on from a slightly more serious topic uh mike focusing here on the potential of razor crest 2 razor crest a razor crest 2.0 um he's noting that raise that the razor crest is not the name of the ship it is a type such as x-wing or yt 1300 um and indeed uh the, the the mithril character looks at it and says razor crest huh and that he's identifying a type uh, and not a particular name, and we get that also in chapter 10, um, as well as chapter 12. Um, I didn't say anything about a razor crest, Karga says to Carson Teva. So certainly hope there. Uh, my greatest hope would be uh, would be for a razor crest 2.0, and uh, and and Mike sending along uh, hope to you, Pete, that that uh, maybe this this offers some hope um, that that uh, that. Oh, in fact, he says the other major HasLab offering was also from a craft that was obliterated. Yes. Pete, the sail barge that you own. Yes. Um, and Mike concluding saying, maybe they should just keep Boba Fett away from HasLab ideas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ships get blown up. Uh, there were serious discussions about the Falcon ultimately meeting its fate prior to uh, of course, the inclusion in Galaxy's Edge. How, how could you possibly get rid of it now? And it's it's still there. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it happens. Uh, I'll add to it, Miggs Mayfeld has even said Razor Crest, huh? Uh, in his Boston accent, because Boston is now part of uh, the New Republic. So, yeah, I mean, are there other models out there? Does he need to get one of the same type of model or could we just get a different ship it it's all possibility uh i'm just giddy that you know we have these two episodes and then we're going to get a break um but there's there's loads of potential pete i am giddy at the prospect of wrapping up our feedback with the other grand admiral round these parts i of course refer to grand admiral fred from the netherlands Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 6. Just one remark I actually wanted to make last week. The Episode 5 with all these burned forests on the planet of Corvus. I really wondered if they had filmed that in California, where sadly so many acres of land and forest were having big big troubles with big fires, whether they used that for filming it. Something else from last week's podcast, I told you that I'm in the mid-season break of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 4 and according to the advised 
watch order I'm now due for Iron Fist. And I was referring to that because I saw Rosario Dawson, who played Ahsoka Tana in the previous Mandalorian episode. So she will be in Iron Fist. And you said the following. Uh, Fred appreciating Rosario Dawson in her many acting, uh, acting roles. Yeah, and apologies, I guess, in progress for taking in Iron Fist, the second worst MCU TV show we've done. And then Eric Pritchard reacted to this on the Facebook page. Even on this pod, you guys, you gotta kick Marvel's Iron Fist when they're down. Come on, guys. Thanks for the analysis, though. I bet that Fred from the Netherlands is going to enjoy Danny Rand and crew. And you answered. You and Petrified underscore Fred can be the defenders for Danny Rand and Rand Enterprises. Well, okay, yes, I want to take that up because I watched the first five episodes now of Iron Fist and I like it actually. So Eric was right and I don't see much difference to Daredevil season one and two and Luke Cage season one. I even watched the episodes twice because I did a new trick and that is actually listening to your podcast and then simultaneously watch the episode without sound but with Dutch subtitles. And since your recording for Iron Fist is about 45 to 50 minutes, it it goes quite in parallel. Wouldn't work for instance for your Star Trek Discovery podcast where the podcast takes almost two hours. And this is all due to COVID because normally I listen to your podcasts on my cycling to and from work, which is half hour, 45 minutes more or less. And now I just sit in my chair and listen to a podcast. Well, then you can easily watch it simultaneously. Okay, back to the Mandalorian. (laughs) We lost the Razor Crest. Oh, Awful. I really was devastated by it. But fortunately, after Christmas, I will rebuild it for Mando in a Lego way. What made me, of course, happier is seeing Mingna Wen back as Fennec. I love the interaction with Boba Fett. Really cool. And I wonder how big the team will get with Fennec, Boba Fett and Sarah June. Perhaps even Grief Karga. I really wonder how many stormtroopers they get in these small uh, troop transporters, these flyers. I think they have to stack them, pile them up inside. A little bit of a nitpick is of course that they never hit somebody, but when then Mando got to his senses, he constantly got hit, whereas Fennec never got hit. And that's of course of the nice effect of bouncing these blasts off. Mando's Beskar armor. Silly was of course that Mando tried to get the child where he was in a force field and after one or two times trying you should realize you cannot penetrate this force field but he kept trying. What I found a little disappointing is that there came no Jedi to the rescue but probably that will be saved for the next episode or something. 
Okay, that's all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, lots of stuff there. At the end of the day, I think that we are glad that people are enjoying Iron Fist. Um, uh, And certainly that they are enjoying our podcasts uh, for those episodes. Uh, Fred making his way through that show like the champion that he is. There's some good stuff about it. The worst of which is Danny Rand of Rand Enterprises. Um, spoiler two. alert for spoiler alert for Fred. The best part is the last what thirty seconds of the entire series yeah, of of the of the series. Yes, and 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 leaves you leaves you wanting more. Um, good luck in that second season, Fred. <laughs> good good luck. But hey, glad that you like it, and and you know I, I've returned to it at, at times. It's not in humans, um, but it's definitely the second worst offering in the MCU as far as TV to date. Uh, and Fred joins us in tears with the loss of the the, the Razor Crest. But I'm glad that my Lego pal will be uh, will be joining me in the, uh, the the Lego ownership of your very own Razor Crest. And again, mine's being put together, or or is it? by HasLab. <laughs> What's kind of cool is that one of the features is you can take off a lot of the panels and everything so it looks like the Jawas have taken it apart and then I guess you don't even need to assemble it and it's screen accurate. Well, Pete, this supersized episode brought to everyone, of course, as always, by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content, either stuff early or stuff you don't get anywhere else, uh, and helps keep the lights on, particularly in December here as the bills come due. So get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek today. Well, Pete, how can people be in touch with you to share their Magnificent Seven predictions ahead of the last two episodes of The Mandalorian Season 2? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,731 followers, can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well, but wait, Pete, there's more! Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Barring earth-shattering news from the Disney Investor Day, we will be back next Saturday for those in the Pop Culture Podcast feed to talk Star Trek Discovery episode two, uh, pardon me, 309. Uh, and of course, back next Sunday on this feed and the Pop Culture feed uh, to talk the penultimate episode of season two of The Mandalorian. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Fate sometimes steps in to rescue the Richie. <laughs> <laughs>